Good morning, everyone, again. We thank God for gathering us together, allowing us for a fourth time to consider this uh, subject of personal productivity from a God-centered and a gospel-driven perspective. I trust that it's been a helpful time. Today we have the fourth and final session in this Sunday School series. There's still so, so much more to be said, but I trust that uh, what will have been said this far will have helped you to relook at your foundation, build on a proper foundation, develop some momentum that will help you to further grow in this whole area of ensuring we are productive in a way that counts in eternity. Um, I would want to reiterate once more that a lot of what I've said, gotten from the book What's Best Next by Matt Parman, which uh, may not be available in physical copies locally, but at least on Kindle, be able to get online copies, What's Best Next, and uh, by the end of today, we will have gotten to around 48% of the book. Uh, we'll have dealt with more of the principal section, the book rather than the processes involved in, in ensuring we are more productive. I would encourage you to look for the book and even do it in group settings where maybe two or three people, four people hold each other accountable as they strive to grow in productivity. Again, the name of the book is What's Best Next. Read it with discernment. There are things in there that one may need to challenge, uh, but overall, it's a, it's a lovely book. I, I have benefited from it. May I kindly request that we start with a word of prayer. Oh Lord, when we think about the fact that our redemption is now nearer than when we first began. There is joy in our hearts as we look forward to that wedding of weddings, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when we would all be gathered at your feet to lay down the crowns of grace that we have received uh, because of the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ to worship you forever and ever without the destruction of sin. We look forward to that day. And yet, Lord, we tremble. Tremble as we look at the wickedness and the weaknesses in our lives. We do not want to have an embarrassing eternity because we did not maximize on the opportunities you gave us to honor your name. Oh, Lord, we therefore please pray grant that we will be a productive people. We will be numbered amongst those who hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us, O oh Lord, to be those whose works would not be works of grass, stubble, or wood, but works that endure the fires that would test and judge on that particular day that is now near. Grant, O oh Lord, that we will take heed of your solemn counsel in Matthew chapter 6, that when we do our righteousness, 
we should not do it so that we may be seen by man, but so that we may be seen and rewarded by you. So that, Lord, whether we give or whether we pray or whether we fast, please help us in whatever sphere of productivity, whether those that relate to our neighbor, whether those that relate to you like prayer, whether those that relate to ourselves like fasting, that we would strive to do it as unto you. We please pray that you'd now enable us in this final Sunday school session on personal productivity, that uh, we would make good use of this time for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name. Again, if you're joining us either online or in person for the first time, we are looking at the subject of personal productivity and asking ourselves, is there a place to approach this subject? A God-centered, the gospel-driven perspective, and our answer is unequivocally yes, for a number of reasons. The Bible speaks to this matter. God has created us to be productive. The creation mandate calls us to be productive. The recreation mandate where we have been recreated by God also calls us to be productive, to remember that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared for us beforehand, Ephesians 2.10. So God is interested and God does require us to be productive. We also do say, yes, we must look at this subject from a gospel-driven from a God-centered perspective, because the chief problem of productivity is not lack of tools. We are not struggling with lack of alarm clocks or lack of apps that would help us to schedule our day and our tasks. The primary problem is a problem of sin. And the solution to sin is the gospel. And so there is a place for us to say this subject should, indeed this subject must be approached from a gospel, from a God-centered, the gospel-driven perspective. Last time we did, also say maybe last time, but when we did see that in defining what productivity is, we define productivity as doing what needs to be done, okay? And so we ask ourselves, what needs to be done? If we are going to be productive, we must do what needs to be done. So what needs to be done? The simple answer is what needs to be done is what God says we should do. So we ask ourselves another question. What does God say we should do? Simple answer to that is God says we should do good works, okay? Isn't it? God says we should do good works, and we looked at a number of places, and we realized that good works is not this thing you start doing when you retire. It's not this thing you do only on Sundays when you come to church. It's not this thing you do after you accumulate a lot of money, and now you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. 
self-actualization at the top there. For those of you who have uh, some idea of what that is, you've met your basic needs, you've dealt with your security needs. Now self-actualization is when you go out there and do good works. That's the world's approach to productivity. You do good works after you have achieved these other things. But for us who are Christians, we see in Scripture that good works is not this occasional thing that you, you once in a while do. Good works is, is whatever we do in faith to God. And we did see a number of biblical proofs of that. I will not go back to that class, but we did see that in God's scheme of things, when the widows were being assessed in Timothy for whether they qualify to be widows who would receive support, one of the criteria was they must have excelled in good works. And then the apostle defines what the good works is, and the first one is raising children. They're thinking, oh, diaper-changing, good works. Feeding a child, good works. Is this one of those things that I'll be a well-done, good, and faithful servant over? And the biblical answer is yes. And Ephesians 6, we also did see the slaves are being told to excel in good works. And you're thinking, whoa, this is the most mundane and most menial kind of work environment. And yet, good works, the answer is yes. And then last week we saw that the gospel strongly affects us when it comes to productivity because when you come to the gospel, you realize, I don't have to do good works to be loved. I'm already loved. I'm already justified in Christ. I don't need to do any other thing in order to qualify for God's love. And we did also see, we therefore saw that we do not do our good works in order to be justified, but we do them because we are justified. And we said this, and I reiterate it, that doctrine is so important if you're going to be a person who excels in productivity. Because we saw in Timothy, not Timothy, Titus, chapter 3, verse 4 to 8, Paul telling Titus, insist on these things so that we may be careful to be productive. And the things to be insisted on in the context are doctrinal things. It's, the, it's basically in that particular context, the doctrine of justification. So if you want to see a life of commitment to productivity, one of the root issues as a Christian you need to work on is your love for doctrine. And why is that the case? And one of you, Brother Tito, was very helpful here in, as we reflected at the end of the Sunday school. One of the big reasons why doctrine will help you to be productive is this. Doctrine is not an end in itself. Doctrine is a window through which you see God, isn't it? And when you see God, who he is, who ha he has become to you, when you see his love for you, you begin experiencing what Daniel 11.32 describes as they that know their God will grow strong and they will do exploits, isn't it? Out of that knowledge of God, there is a strength that is 
given. We do exploit. So you want to be in doctrine. Don't, don't, don't allow yourself, dear brothers, dear sister, to, to develop the habit of zoning out when you come to doctrinal environments where doctrine is being taught. It is crucial for you. Uh, to grow in that. And we also did see that, unlike the world, the gospel-centered approach to productivity does not work hard in order to have peace. Just like with justification, we realize that peace is already available even before we work for it. We just go to God who tells us, do not be anxious in anything. But in everything with thanksgiving, we are to make our requests known to God. And what would happen? And the peace of God is the incentive given. The peace of God which surpasses understanding would guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. These two things surely will convince us that we are free to serve. We have been freed and we are free to serve. We go forth to serve. We go forth as a secure people who can serve. Insecure people are always worrying about how they appear to others. They fear exposure of their weakness, and so they keep hiding beneath layers, or they keep pretending, uh, or they even employ things like pride or pretensions in order to to shelter themselves, and that prevents them from truly being productive. The more insecure you are, the more you will want people to serve you, and the more you will need human approval. But if you have been brought to a place where you understand justification by grace through faith, not of your works, then you feel free to serve where you realize there is peace available, not because I have dotted all I's or crossed all T's, and it's not saying we are going to be lazy with regards to excellence. We've already seen that loving our neighbor demands that we strive to be competent and to do our things with excellence and to be proactive in looking out for our neighbor and helping them with regards to their needs. So the role of scripture, the role of prayer in productivity cannot be overemphasized. It is very clear we must be in the world. It is very clear we must be on our knees before God if we are going to be productive. A God-centered approach to productivity demands that as a foundation, as a first things first action, you be found in Christ and continuously communing with him in the word and in prayer. You must be continuously communing with the triune God using these opportunities. Sorry. And so as we said earlier on when we were starting these sessions, as we listed the myths around productivity, we debunked one. 
which says what we need most for us to be productive is tools and techniques and helps, you know, uh, sticky notes and whatever, whatever you'd think about, which is not necessarily bad in itself. But if we start there as the world does, we are putting the cart before the horse. We saw, we are seeing, we are continuously seeing Productivity is a gospel issue because the major roadblock to productivity is sin. If we are going to be productive, we must be a people of character. Our world today is so focused on the personality ethic rather than the character ethic. As long as you look the part, as long as you seem to be making it, you are accepted by society. But we know. If we look at things in the real sense, we must be those who pursue a character ethic. A character ethic would say that true success is not first defined by externals and so that the way we would live an effective life is not going to spring forth first and foremost from technique. It's going to spring forth from a hidden character. True and lasting effectiveness comes from character. And this character is not simply an ingredient of an effective life. It is the foundation for an effective life. It's not just you bring the character like you add salt to food. No, that's not what we are dealing with here when we are talking about productivity. Character is foundation. You neglect it, the walls will begin to crack, and you can repaint that wall forever and ever and ever. But you will hide the crack with paint, it will pop up again. And then the crack pop, pops up, instead of dealing with the foundation, you call the painter again, telling him, paint for me this wall. It is not a wise way of dealing with the cracked wall. You should know that the issue is at the foundation. And, and we are not saying techniques don't have their place. They do have their place, but they only come in as building blocks, building blocks that are on a foundation of genuine, biblical, Christ-like character. And it is so encouraging to be in this place where you know you are in Christ, where you know that nothing you do is in vain. Nothing, absolutely nothing you do is in vain. Everything works out for your good. It's almost a scary place to be. How can everything work out for my good? That's not what would happen in the humanistic perspective to productivity. In a God-centered, gospel-driven perspective to productivity, we are those who are convinced of all things work together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. So throw away the idea that character is boring, character is an optional extra, character is a claim to perfection. That's not what we are doing here. We are not talking about sinless perfection. We are saying there is a foundational place for character. 
And if you can remember last week, maybe we could relook at it because we, we should be tired of. Let's just turn to Second Peter chapter one again. In Second Peter chapter one, verse five to eight, Peter reminds us how important character is if you're going to be productive. He says. He lists these virtues, these character qualities we must grow in for this very reason. And I told you last week, go and ask yourself what very reason. Because if you don't understand what the very reason is there, you will not make every effort. Okay? For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So he says, make every effort to excel, to grow in these virtues, to grow in these character qualities. Then he gives you the reason. But if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says you want to be productive. You want to be one who will not be described as ineffective or unfruitful. Grow in these things. And for you to grow in these things, you must go back to what has he been saying. Because he's saying for this very reason. And you'd see precious promises as the motivator, justification by grace alone through faith, motivates you to work your salvation with fear and trembling because you are alive to the fact that God is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. He tells you. That. And, and if you look at Philippians chapter 1 also, I'm just reiterating the fact that character is important in productivity. And the world will, will not necessarily tell you that. Philippians 1.9, the apostle says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. He's saying, I want you to grow in love and wisdom. This is my prayer for you. Grow in love and grow in wisdom. Verse 10, he gives the reason. So that you may approve what is excellent. Now, we did see that one of the key issues in struggles with productivity is ambiguity and the problem of too many choices. You're just paralyzed at the possibilities. And Paul is saying, you grow in the virtue of love and you grow in wisdom. Philippians 1.9 If you do that, you then will be platform at a place where you are able to make decisions. You'll be able to determine this is excellent. 
and this is not. You'll be able to differentiate the good and the best and pursue the best. You'd be like our Lord and Savior in Mark chapter 1. Peter says, everyone is looking for you. I mean, what an opportunity you'd think, isn't it? But he says, no, let's go over to the next town. For this reason I came to preach. At what point do we, what do we need rather to be able to make decisions, this kind of designing decisions that would help us to differentiate what is excellent from what is not? The world would give you a different thing from what Scripture says. Scripture says, grow in character. If you grow in character, Philippians 1.10, you'll be able to approve what is excellent. How about Romans 12 and verse 2? Again, touching on just decision-making there, in a world where productivity is hugely hampered by, by so many options available to you and ambiguity. The apostle says, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul again tells us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, so that by testing we may be able to discern the will of God to know what is good and acceptable and perfect. Character, dear brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, character, again Paul is commanding here, is at the root of our ability to make good decisions, that ability to discern the will of God. That is possible in that character. That person whose character is undergoing this metamorphosis of being renewed and transformed in their mind by God's word. So I plead with you again. You want to be productive, ensure that scriptures are given the proper place in your life. You neglect that you will not be productive. It will be seen. It will at some point be seen. You may fake it for some time, but ultimately you will not be productive. Grow in doctrine. Grow in knowing God's word, being transformed by it, being sanctified by it. See it as that opportunity for you to know God, to see how he has loved you, to come to that place where you can be able to say, we love because he has first loved us. And to be on your knees, asking him to help you in those areas where he has made promises to appropriate them in prayer, which is a means he's employed, to fight sin on our knees before him, asking for help. Any question, any thought?
even correction of something I may have said wrong. Okay, so let's let's proceed on a bit. In in the book, I think for time's sake, I'll I'll skip that section. I was going to read some Q and A that the author had with Wayne Brudem on just how he has been able to be productive, and it's it's available stuff. It's what you and I would would look at and just pass us. This is not the technique. You don't need anyone to lay their hands on you to deliver you from unproductivity. Don't don't go for such sessions. Don't go for Maombi uh, or Pombozi. It's it's you you are not trained for to get instant maturity. That's and I've done a class here on on Christian maturity. That's not a biblical approach. Be in the word, work. And I'm not saying prayer is wrong, but what I'm saying is in a world where many preachers are behaving like they're witch doctors, we, we must say no to that false gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ has put before us what we need to grow in productivity. And if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. The old is gone. You may be looking at yourself and you think you're handcuffed. But the handcuff has been untied. Shed it off. Put it down. The Lord Jesus Christ was manifest for this purpose, that he may destroy the works of the devil. And he did so. If you are in Christ, those weights and the sin that so easily clings can be shed off by being in the word, by appropriating the means of grace that the Lord has made available for you. Listen to him. Give him your ear. Okay? And then remember he is giving you his ear. Pray to him and then be in a community of brethren where they will use the gifts that the Lord Jesus Christ has given them to minister to you, to encourage you, to stir you, to love and good deeds. Therefore, brothers and sisters, it is not difficult to see that at its core, personal productivity from a God-centered and a gospel-driven perspective would also require that you lead yourself before you even think about managing yourself. In a world, in the world, the big thing is just prioritize your schedule, isn't it? But us Christians don't think that way. For us, we say schedule your priorities. It's upside down for the world. We do believe in prioritizing. We indeed do have a place for prioritizing our schedule. But before we prioritize our schedule, we must schedule our priorities. We are not just looking at the clock. We are also carrying a compass with us. Where is the true north? We are asking ourselves as Christians, and the world might not ask, where is the true north? And when they ask, where is the true north? They come only to the point of saying principle-centeredness. Not asking, what is the source of those principles? 
We know the source of the principles, the lasting true principles is God. And so we focus on God. We are God-centered. So we must be those who then keep asking, what's most important so that we may put it first? Knowing what's really important is very crucial when we are thinking about effectiveness, when we are thinking about productivity. We focus on it, we concentrate on it. We, we are like Mary at the feet of the Lord. It's not that Martha's cooking is bad, uh -uh. but we have asked ourselves what's more important. The Lord Jesus Christ affirmingly says, Martha, Martha, Mary has found what is most important and it will not be taken. The Lord affirms. The world may troll its eyes on you, scorn at you, but we have found what's most important. And just going back to the issue of ensuring doctrine, and prayer comes before, at a foundational level, before we put the building blocks of techniques. I would encourage you once more. In a world where more and more the fourth commandment is being attrition, even amongst rather responsible preachers, we need to be very careful not to attrition the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work, but the seventh, the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On that day you are coming to meet with God who has made time for you. You neglect it, it will affect your productivity. You may say, oh, I've got to think about me first if I'm going to be productive tomorrow at work. But uh, you're shooting yourself on the feet. You're employing a technique of rescuing somebody at an accident scene that is just going to cause more damage than the accident itself. A person who just had a broken arm may end up being paralyzed neck down because of the technique you're using to rescue them from the wreckage. And so I just go back there, it's just come to my mind at this point that I thought to touch on that again. But coming back again to the issue of pro productivity, Let's, let's be those who prioritize our schedule, rather who, who schedule our priorities and not just prioritize our schedules. We, we want to be those who are constantly asking what is important so that we organize our lives in that particular way. Because, dear brothers and sisters, Whereas the greatest fear of most individuals is that they will fail. As Christians, we are not just concerned about failure. We are concerned also about succeeding at doing the wrong things. We don't want to waste our time. You don't want to show up in eternity only to find out that you gained the whole world and forfeited your soul. Or at best, all that work was a work of wood and grass and stubble that will earn you 
no rewards of grace in heaven. At times, not because the activity itself was wrong, but looking at Matthew 6, for example, the prayer that was being made was being made in order to receive rewards from man. Or the giving that was being done was, was with the intention of receiving the accolade of man. So prayer and giving and, uh, and uh, fasting in Matthew 6 are not in themselves bad. In fact, they, they are acts of righteousness that we should be involved in. But because of the motivation, they then become futile exercises that could potentially annoy God and at best could just be a waste of your time. So we don't just want to avoid failure when it comes to productivity. We also want to avoid succeeding at what we shouldn't be succeeding in at the first place. You remember we said productivity requires that we do what God wants us to do. And what God wants us to do also comes with how he wants it to be done. So one of the things that then we need to think about, and this is a thing that time here would not be enough for us to wrestle with, but in what's best next, the author tries to struggle with it, is the whole issue of developing personal missions, developing a purpose, thinking about your values or beliefs or principles, how many of you have not interacted with uh, John Edwards' re resolutions? If you've never heard of it, the 70 resolutions of John Edwards. I'm not saying if you've never seen it, okay. Please look for it. It would be very helpful for us to just see what this dear brother in the Lord did when he was 19 years old. He wrote 70 resolutions. During this particular class, I may read some of them. But we need to think about that. And one of the homeworks I would give you, if you want to grow in productivity, is to think about your principles, just like Jonathan Edwards did. Within the biblical scheme of things, what are irreducible minimums for you? In other words, what principles will you hold on to, even if it means you will suffer? for holding on to them. A person who knows what they stand for will not fall for anything. On the other hand, a person who does not have something they stand for will sadly easily be bumped off. They'll fall for anything. And so as we think about personal missions, we are those who are realizing we want to work on the inside. If we are going to be people who are truly productive, we must ensure that we have a proper foundation, we have a compass, and not just the clock that the world gives us when it comes to productivity. Scriptures do tell us in Romans chapter 14 that we are going to give an account in verse 7 and 8 of Romans 14, we are told that for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, 
we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So we are asking ourselves, why are we here? What are we here for? When we are thinking about these aspects of productivity, we are still building on, on the foundation of we are already justified by grace, through faith and not by our works. And there is peace already promised in the Lord. And so how we improve on that necessitates that we ask ourselves, why am I here? And scripture does in many, many ways encourage us to see from the lives of people in the Bible, but to also learn not just from their practice, but also from clear precept that we can develop mission statements. Ma Micah 6, 8, which Pastor Murungi preached on last Sunday, but one. And, uh, and such other texts would very easily put before you from a point of view of precepts, uh, whether it's Matthew 5, 16, precept again, let your, let your good deeds, let your light shine before others. These are precepts that we have as marching orders in scripture that would define what our mission is, why we are here. Texts like Philippians chapter 1, 20 to 21, would be very helpful examples from dear saints in scripture, like Paul basically saying in Philippians 1, 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain shows you some of the things that are behind the scenes that made this dear brother as productive as he was. Because when he woke up in the morning, his mission was clear. I have checked myself, I am alive. For to me to live is Christ. Before he even asks, what am I going to do? That is dealt with. There is no negotiating about that. As I leave that door to go to the office for me to leave, for to me to leave is Christ, is my driving mission. A clear mission is the essence of personal leadership. Without it, without a clear mission, we will lack direction. You will not be able to lead yourself if you don't know where you are headed. And mission also gives you meaning in life. You remember one of the things, one of the big things with productivity today is people are looking for meaning. We all are, and there is a place for that. There is a place for us to think about what's significant and not just what's spectacular. If you're struggling with a sense of purpose, if you're struggling with a sense of meaning, it might just be that your mission in life is not clear. It might just be that you do not know why you're here. And I say again, the most effective Christians are not aimless. They know why they are here. 
a life well lived does not just happen. When you look at a tombstone epitaph and that hyphen between the date of birth and the date of death of the person buried there is making sense to you, that person wasn't aimless. That person did not just wake up and ask, where is free lunch being served today? When you see people who have passed on and no one is saying good readers, people are truly mourning for them. They were not aimless. Effective lives require intentionality. So give thought to your mission. And I say do so because whether you know it or not, you already have one. There is an objective purpose to your life. And that objective purpose is not something you set. It was set for you. In other words, your mission in life is not something you are going to decide on. It is a thing you discover. And the Bible guides us on so many, many ways on how to do that. God is interested in guiding us. You don't need to pay someone for them to tell you God's will over your life. In Psalm 23, which, which celebrates Jehovah Rohi, the Lord our shepherd, twice he talks about guiding us. And in one of those two occasions, he actually says, he will guide us in paths of righteousness. Why? For his own namesake. It glorifies him to guide us. And if we are a biblical people, then we come to the scriptures eager, ready, waiting to receive. And we are not double-minded because if we are seeking wisdom and we are double-minded, James tells us we will not receive wisdom. And one of the chief ways that double-mindedness shows up is that attitude of saying, first of all, tell me your will, then I will decide whether I will do it. You do that with God. The thing is to say, God, I will do your will. I am committed to it even before I know it. Please tell me what your will is. Then you will know God's will. It is important not simply to have a mission statement, but to ensure you get the right mission statement. You can craft a mission statement. I will retire young, retire rich, buy a rocking chair, put it on my balcony, on the east and the west side, each a balcony, and I'll rock myself as I look at the sunrise in the morning and rock myself as I look at the sunset. And you can put it in very colorful words, but it's all empty. So get your mission statement right, because it is possible. And the world will not tell you this. Again, a worldly, a humanistic perspective on productivity sort of tries to tell you, you just go and imagine anything that you really, really want to do, and then craft it as your, as your mission statement. 
from a God-centered and a gospel perspective to productivity, we are saying that is very dangerous. Because you did not create yourself. You've got to rely on your creator to know why you're here. Your opportunities exist in your lifetime. But your responsibility also came with you. It's not something you're going to determine. It's something you discover first and foremost. It doesn't come to you by speculation. It comes to you by revelation from God's word. And so I plead with you, and I particularly plead with men in this area. Because the scriptures call those who would be married to you, to submit to you. You've got to be very clear about what your mission is. And I do plead with our sisters, please do help the brothers by praying with them. By creating a conducive environment for them to grow and more and more into a place where they are clearer and clearer on why they are here. Because submission, surely the word itself, that double word does require that there is an understanding of mission and you arrange yourself under that mission. And it's not just, of course, the mission. You've got to respect and submit to the person as unto the Lord, as one who has been put there in your life by the Lord. But dear brother, as the Lord calls the sister to help you in that way, surely do you not want to be clear on why am I here? What is she in my life to help me with? We need to pray. We need to, young men, please pray. You don't want to get to your 60s. It's when you begin going through a crisis because now it's clearer, but the energy and the time has all been squandered. And you go through terrible midlife crisis. Any thoughts? I'm realizing, oops, time is over. I'll not be able to finish all this. Yes, Brother Tito. Thank you so much uh, for the lesson. I wanted to recommend a book okay. that can be really helpful, especially on the mission part. Okay. Uh, it's Do More Better by Tim Charles. Here is very practically outlined how you can go about setting mission very personalized to yourself mm -hmm. and at the same time in accordance with scripture of oh. yeah do more to, yes do more better team yeah. chalice practical okay yeah in case somebody is wondering how do i go about setting up a mission right thank you is it available locally or it would be kindle at best or if you know somebody does anyone know if it's available locally So it would be Kindle, potentially Kindle. You may skip lunch a few days during the month, but then you are able to get the book. Most of these books would be around $10, $15 if you're buying on Kindle. Thank you. Thank you, Tito.
And some of the things we could say as we draw to a close on developing a mission that would be in the gospel, God-centered, gospel-driven perspective would be one, unlike the world, we would counsel you, do not start by envisioning your funeral. That's what the world will tell us. If you want to craft your mission, start first of all by thinking about those who are giving the eulogy at your funeral. Isn't that what we are told? In fact, we are told write down your own eulogy, even your tombstone epitaph, and think about yourself lying there listening to people. Yeah, brothers and sisters, at that point, what people say does not matter to you. They could praise you from here to Timbuktu. But if God in heaven is saying, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, what does it help you? To be having the praise of men over your lifeless body. So that's not where you start. There may be value indeed in thinking about your last days and ensuring you passionately strive towards finishing well, but a gospel-driven, God-centered approach to productivity starts by reflecting not on what others will say about you, not on that fallacy, but rather, what do you want to say to God? when you give an account. That's, that's where you are asking yourself, Nita, what will I say? Because you will stand before one who is impartial, who is not a respecter of man, who uses terms such as anyone, whoever, whosoever. Those inclusive terms, it doesn't matter whether you are the president, the richest, the, the prettiest, it is whosoever, excluding none. That God, you will stand before him. What will you say then? What will he say in response to it? Having dealt with that, then secondary, if it's even necessary, you may want to think about what people will say at your female. Oh, he was a doting father. He took me for golf. I never shared the gospel with him. <laughs> People lie at the funerals. To our shame, even preachers lie during funerals. So that's not where we start. A God-centered, gospel-driven perspective to mission, to being missional, asks, first of all, what will I say to God? It's a bad idea, a very dangerous idea, a fallacy, to put at the, at the root of your mission statement what will man say about me? And then base your mission statement on actual biblical purpose, the actual purpose of life. Again, scripture is very clear. When we read Philippians 1.21, we can clearly see these texts. We, 
we do see them. It is ignorant. There are people who would say it is ignorant to say we know the purpose of life. It is not ignorant because scripture does tell us what's the purpose of life. In fact, if God says this is the purpose of life and we are saying we cannot know the purpose of life, then we are actually becoming ignorant. Not ignorant, but arrogant. It is not arrogant to say life has a purpose which can objectively be known. Quite on the contrary, and unlike the world, to refute that life has a purpose is to be arrogant. Is to say, God, you said it, but I do away with it. The purpose of life is to know God. The purpose of life is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to reflect his glory back to him, and to do this in community with others, and to do so through the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be put in various ways. Micah 6 says to put it in ways that will tell you as you set your mission in life, do not forget justice. Don't just be wrapped up in yourself the way the world will tell us to do and we make a small package. We've got to think about others also. Again, we remind ourselves that whereas this mission statement to direct us, it doesn't drive us. What drives us is the gospel. Yes, it does direct us, but it directs us like the law would do. Okay? So the mission statement would be more in the category of law, but the gospel drives you. Michael Horton says, knowing your purpose is a form of law. Anytime we are in the realm of what we are to do, we are in the realm of law. The law is not bad. It's simply that the law's role is only to guide our lives and not ultimately to empower them. The gospel, what God has done for us in Christ, is the ultimate motivation for what we do. We are to be mission-directed, but gospel-driven. I will have to stop. It's been a joy going through this class. We've just scratched the surface. There are so many other things to do that will help us in crafting this. Thank you for recommending uh, Doing More Better by Tim Charles. Any other books? Any other resources? Be in the Word. Be in the Scriptures. You could read everything else, but if you're not here, you will not be productive in this sense. A godly man's picture, a Puritan book. Yes, it's a Puritan book. And so that might just be easily accessible. Tito, could you kindly help us? And then you just post in the, in the, in the church fellowship group if it's available at Acts. Not now. Later, later tomorrow on Tuesday. Thank you. Okay. Let's help one another, please. Let's be in prayer. What we are dealing with here 
is huge stuff. The majority of us are youngish, but we are not so young. You look at, and I didn't even get to, to the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, but please look at them. Just look at those 70 resolutions. They are amazing. That's what the Lord enabled this man to, to do. And as a homework I've told you, think about 20 principles for yourself. 20 irreducible minimums that for you are non-negotiable. If you do that, they'll set you on a good path towards being more and more productive. Thomas Watson, yes. We, we are here to help one another in the midst of the pains and the burdens of reflecting back and just seeing I've been, I've been with the kings, whereas I should have been with my father. We, we encourage you. The solution to that is not to be despondent, to lose hope in life, to throw your hands up. Just say, it's all gone. Uh, just flee to Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is able to take what looks like a bruised reed, a smoldering flax, he would heal you, set you on the path to serving him. If you are trying to achieve God's purpose by rejecting him, you are arranging seats in the Titanic. It's going down. Just stop doing that. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be saved. That's where you stand. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for these four weeks and uh, for what we have been able to do as we've sought to think your thoughts after you with regards to productivity. Lord, we thank you that uh, as many as are led by the Spirit, those are sons of God. And so whereas we have not covered everything that would perhaps need to be covered in this particular topic, we are assured that as we remain in you and you remain in us, as we abide in you, you abide in us, we will bear much fruit. The condition bearing much fruit is not spending more days in this Sunday school topic, but it is in abiding in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for ourselves as a church. We desire to be more productive than we have been. Lord, as we look at our failures in corporate productivity, it points with an indicting thing, fact that perhaps our character, our abiding, our motivation being we have already been loved and therefore we should love back is wanting. Help us as a church, Lord, where we are weak in evangelism, where we are weak in prayer, and other corporate 
things that we need to do as part of productivity. Help us to deal with the true root issues here. Lord, at individual levels, also help us. Grant, O oh Lord, that from this place you'd raise for yourself Daniels, Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegos who would stand out as wiser than the other prefects and satraps in their places of work. We pray, raise for yourself Josephs, modern-day Josephs in our midst. Raise for yourself in our midst the Apostle Paul Sood, who would strive to labor as you are at work in us, what to will and to do according to your good pleasure. And grant that we will not just be occasional in our productivity, but all our life, until we breathe our final breath, we will be those who, by their lives, as well as their words, say that for us to live is Christ, and for to us to die is therefore gain. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.